Time now for Kings Talk. Oh, it's squirted between the pads. Where you, the listeners, call in with your comments and questions after every Kings game. Tell us what's on your mind. Call us at 877-KINGS-20. That's 877-KINGS-20. We'll also take a look at the stars of the game, game highlights, and the out-of-town scoreboard. It's time for Kings Talk, right here on the LA Kings iHeart Audio Network. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. You're listening to Kings Talk. I'm coming to you live from Kings headquarters at Toyota Sports Performance Center in El Segundo, California. Final score from Enterprise Center in St. Louis, Missouri in overtime. Your LA Kings 3, the Blues 4, and uh, that drops the Kings record when scoring three goals in regulation to 1, 3, and 5. We're taking your questions and comments about the game, the team, and anything else on your mind. Call 877-KINGS-20. That's 877-KINGS-20. Uh, I got to stop erasing my notes after every game because there's games like this where I'd love to go back and uh, refresh that stat about the Kings record when they score four goals or more uh, and their record when they score fewer than four goals. I did uh, get a chance to look up when they score three goals in regulation, just one win, three losses and five losses in overtime or the shootout. Now they do have one 3-2 win over the Seattle Kraken where they scored two goals in regulation but were credited with a third goal by way of a shootout. But uh, in regulation, unless the Kings are scoring four or five goals, they are just not picking up those wins in regulation. Three stars of the game tonight in St. Louis, Missouri. The third star, goaltender Joel Hofer for the St. Louis Blues, stopped 29 of 32 shots for a 9.06 save percentage. Uh, Numbers two star Braden Shen, former King Braden Shen. No surprise there for those who follow the Molson Index. Uh, Braden Shen, a goal in the game, the overtime game winner. Uh, Three shots on goal in 16 minutes, 41 seconds of ice time. And the number one star of the game for the St. Louis Blues, uh, Jordan Cairo, with a goal and two assists, a plus two in 20 minutes, 21 minutes, five seconds of ice time. Kings get goals from Adrian Kempe. That was the opening goal of the game from Andre Kopitar and Alex Laferriere. Jared Anderson Dolan gave him the lead uh, early in the second period. St. Louis would uh, score two goals to take a 3-2 lead. Phil Deneau would go ahead and tie the game up again late in the second. No goals in the third period. And then ultimately St. Louis scores a minute and four seconds into overtime to take the overtime win away from the Kings. 4-3 4-3 to three in St. Louis. One game remains on the schedule before the Kings head into the All-Star break. That game is against the Nashville Predators. Uh, with the result of today's game, the St. Louis Blues pass the LA Kings in the standings. That bumps the Kings into uh, the should be the second spot in the wildcard standings. Uh, if they lose to Nashville on Wednesday, uh, Nashville will also pass them effectively bumping them out of a playoff spot. After that game, the Kings will have a break until February 10th when uh, they take on the Edmonton Oilers at home at Crypto.com Arena. Uh, I believe Nashville is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, no, Nashville is not playing today. Excuse me. They play, uh, I believe, tomorrow against the Ottawa Senators. Um, So remains to be seen what will happen there. Miguel in Oklahoma. Thanks for calling in, Miguel. What's going on today? Uh, well, 
since uh, as I was watching the game, I kind of got this feeling of just resignation. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, kind of going about uh, expectations. And uh, since somebody uh, last game brought up uh, uh, Von, uh, von uh, Goethe, I decided maybe to uh, <laughs> yes, do some deep thoughts. And uh, I pulled this from uh, Marcus Aurelius, the great all-knowing no. uh, Marcus Aurelius. He said, uh, wipe out the imagination, stop the pulling of strings, confine yourself to the present. And kind of going to what uh, we're all ha- uh, you would say often is that um, happiness is measured by expectations. I think the beginning of the season gave us really high expectations. And now that they've come back down, we're measuring about uh, how that against how they did at the beginning of the season. And I think my feeling, like I said, is resignation and that this season is going to be a grind. And I think maybe as a fan base, we need to kind of reset that. Because if we keep expecting them to go back to, you know, for nothing, you know, scoring almost at will, we're going to be disappointed. I think it's just we got to be in the present. It's going to be a grind. Miguel, I think that's an incredibly mature position to take. And it is part of the reason that I constantly refer back to that phrase, happiness is measured by expectations. However, um, I am not always a mature person, and fan bases uh, move move and royal and swirl uh, in emotional waves. And so I was having a conversation with somebody earlier this week, and they said, listen, if I told you at the beginning of the year that halfway through the season the record would be uh, you know, 22, 15, and 10, and they'd be a plus 18 in goal differential – and they'd be in a playoff spot, but that nobody would have seen the Vancouver Canucks having this incredible year. You know, if I told you that they were behind Vegas and Edmonton, but that Vancouver had somehow sprung up and have this amazing season, would you have taken that? And I said, sure, I absolutely would have. Um, Unfortunately, they did have that start to that season, um, and expectations were probably falsely inflated. You are are correct there, Miguel. It's the path how we got there. It's like if you go back to... Um, 2014 uh, against San Jose. You know, if you right. just look at the, you know, on the numbers, oh, it's a four-three series. Oh, that must have been tight series. But when you see how it was, it wasn't really four-three. It was a reverse sweep. Then you're like, ah, okay. How you how you go through this process, it's going to influence how we think. So. I think that's a, a sage reminder, Miguel. I appreciate you calling me uh, calling me out on that because okay. I did not have a quote prepared. So I appreciate it. Got some people on hold, though, Miguel. I got to jump. I appreciate you calling in. Steve in Orlando. What's going on, Steve? Hey. hey. Not, another not great night. I, I'm in the resignation phase as well right now. This is reminding me of my every year up until 2012 as a Kings fan. <laughs> Well, let's let's oh, yeah. maybe dwell a little bit in the positivity that Miguel was trying to bring. <laughs> yeah, trying. I'm really trying. It's hard for me to lose my hope, but man, this last sure. stretch has been rough. I wanted to call after the last few games. Like, I'm just too angry. I couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you uh, fighting through it for this uh, one. Yeah, this was it was a, t- a tough one. My comment was like, I don't understand why Coach McCullen keeps playing the same three at the beginning of every overtime with basically the same result. <laughs> Why is he not switching it up? Put like Spence and you know more and you know Dano out there or something. Well, I had a conversation with Nick Nixon and Jim Fox on all the Kings men recently. We were revisiting the top ten questions for the season, and at the end of the episode, we sort of started dwelling on uh, you know team identity and what does this team 
meant to be doing. And I asked Jim the question, is it possible that rather than having a, a, a team lose or a coach, rather than having a, a coach lose the room, rather than a team tuning out the coach, is it possible that they can tune in too hard or that the team can commit too heavily to the system? And everything we've heard from Todd McClellan and uh, Rob Blake and the players is that the solution to this problem is to just keep sticking to the plan, doing what they need to do, eliminating the individual mistakes, eliminating the structural errors, and just doubling down on who they are and what they do. And I think the overtime is probably just another example of that. I know that um, fans, I certainly get enough texts and messages during the game about that specific topic, Steve, but I, I just believe that at this point, um, the Kings believe that they have constructed a team that can win when things go right and believe that things will go right more often than not when everybody is doing the correct thing. And so rather than panic, rather than try and reconstruct uh, or reinvent the wheel um, mid-season, they are just going to keep doubling down on uh, the the strategies that they believe will pull them out of it. And uh, I certainly understand the frustration. The overtime record is not great, and uh, there have been some... Losses in overtime that were either almost instant or coming almost right at the end of the overtime. And those, even though they probably shouldn't, those uh, those stand out in the memory earlier. So today, a perfect example. Minute and four seconds in, start that line. They win the faceoff, and despite the fact that they win the faceoff, they instantly give up uh, what could have been described as a scoring opportunity. Uh, then they go the other way, a bad turnover, and pucks in the back of the net. Yeah. Steve, I appreciate you calling in. Um, I hope that answered your question a little bit. Spencer, thanks for staying on hold. You were at the game. Spencer, are you with us? Yes, I am, Jesse. Thanks for taking my call. Well, thanks for calling in after being at the game. We love it when fans call in from the road. Uh, you've got an anti-play and player of the game. Yes, I the anti-play. I'm announcing a moratorium on backhanded blind passes to nobody. I'm with you on that team. one. I'm 100% with you on that, that one, Spencer. Was, <laughs> that was kind of the bane of our existence tonight. and it, it, it was a plague that hit everybody on the team harder than whatever sickness might be going around the room. But uh, the anti-player of the game, not quite a player, but I'm going to put it on myself as a fan for uh, cheering for the, the goal that never was when Kempin missed the wide open oh, no. there, uh, <laughs> in the second period. I cheered too early thinking it had uh-huh. gone in. So I think I might have put a, a pox on the team at that point and, uh, you know, it was all – kind of downhill from there but uh yeah I, I don't know i've tried to be as optimistic as possible and um i don't want to say that i'm with the others that have called in uh in resignation but uh it's it's getting to be tough to be optimistic well if i may i, th- I think part of the frustration at least for me and I, I imagine for a lot of other people is that they're not getting blown out in these games you know, this was exactly. a game. This was a game where they came back after being down in the second period. They got the first goal. St. Louis scores. They get a two-one lead. St. Louis scores two more, and then Phil Deneau scores. And you're thinking, okay, well, maybe this is the day they turn it around because they're not getting blown out. A lot of these losses are in overtime or the shootout, and we know the shootout record is bad. We know that. I think we all know rationally, even though we may not admit it, that the shootout is a bit of a coin flip. Um, and overtime is not um, reflective of how the team plays in regulation. And yet, you're looking at that win-loss record, and you're looking at the last time they put two wins together in a row, and it's you know it's going to be almost a full calendar month if it isn't already. 
Uh, and yeah, you, you, there was a quote I pulled, um, randomly uh, a few games ago. I didn't use it cause I just couldn't bring myself to play around and get goofy during another King's talk episode. But it was essentially that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of art is not ugliness. The opposite of life is not death. It listed a bunch of positive things. And it said the opposite of all of those things is indifference. And, uh, I'm finding more and more messages coming across my phone, whether through DM on social media platforms or texts from friends and family. But people are beginning to find this situation that the Kings find themselves in amusing, uh, predictable. Um, it's not outrage anymore. It's just sort of resignation, to use the word you use, Spencer. And, and I think that's dangerous um, and, and disappointing. Yeah, and I, I will I will never give up on this team. I mean, you know, I drove in from Indianapolis yesterday to be here to watch them uh, win or lose. So I'm going to continue to support where I can. Um, and I, I just love this team too much, and they've they've been too much of a part of my life to completely give up on them. Well, that's all we can do, Spencer. That's all any of us can do is keep watching and keep rooting. Appreciate the call. Sorry you. Had to see a, a loss on the road, or perhaps it's at home for you. Darren in Orange County, are you still with us, Darren? Jesse, I'm here. Uh, first What's of all, going on, Darren? All that you do. Well, my, my pleasure. Um, you know, it's so funny because, you know, I've been a longtime Kings fan, and my reaction to watching the overtime goal go in for St. Louis, um, maybe it was resignation, but I actually laughed out loud. Yep. And, I, and normally I get <laughs> furious when the Kings lose. But it's just laughable at this time. And I was thinking for a long time that this team is unlucky. I mean, if you look at Kempe missing a wide-open net today, but it, it, it's just beyond being unlucky at this point. And for me, um, it's a huge amount of frustration. And if you look at the top with, like, Luke and Rob, if this was any Canadian team in the league, the coach would be gone. And listen, I think Todd is a great guy, Okay. But look at what happened in Edmonton. You know, the, Jay was a good guy, too. He got fired. The Kings have to make a change. This team is just wallowing in, in, in failure. And, you know, until something happens, you know, I mean, you're, you're talking about playoffs. We're, we're not going to go to the playoffs at this point. You know, they've won two games in January, guys. This is pathetic. So, anyways, that's my rant. Obviously, you can you can sense the frustration. I listen to uh, Kings talk every night. This is the first time I've called in, and I'm I'm just you know it's it's laughable at this point. That's all I got to say, Jesse. Thank you. Well, Darren, I appreciate you calling in, and I appreciate you caring enough about the team to have that rant. Um, I want to touch on two things you said. One is the laughter, and yes, I have I have also reached that point as well. Um, I have said many, many times that the, the, the fate of the Kings team has way too huge of, a, of an impact on my mood. It's probably not healthy, um, and uh, I just shudder when I think about what I might have turned out personality-wise had the team not won those cups back when they did. Um, but yeah, it's gotten to the point now where you the only thing you can do left uh, is laugh, because otherwise... Um, you'll just be walking around under a dark cloud, and it, it's not worth it, right? We all want the team to win, and uh, when they're not winning, uh, we shouldn't let it impact our lives. Um, it is as much as I am driven crazy when friends and family say this phrase to me and does it. When someone tells me it's just a game, I that, that sends me up a wall uh, because obviously it's not just a game. But at some level, they are just games, which I realize is a contradiction. I hope that you all follow me on 
on my meaning. The other thing is, and I was thinking about this earlier today, I got a call from somebody. We were talking about the season. And just before they called, I had found myself looking at the standings and I found myself saying, huh, well, the Toronto Maple Leafs find themselves in a wild card spot right now. They're 5-4-1 in their last 10. The Detroit Red Wings were supposed to have an unbelievable bounce back season under the Shanna plan. They're in a second wild card spot. The Pittsburgh Penguins doubled down and brought in Eric Carlson. They find themselves with 51 points, just a few games over 500, well out of a playoff spot. The New Jersey Devils are tremendously disappointing. Buffalo was supposed to be better. Ottawa was supposed to be very good, and they find themselves in last place in the Eastern Conference. Uh, in the Western Conference, you know, the Kraken were supposed to be better than they are. Every year, the Coyotes string together a stretch of good games at the end of a season, and that's the year they're going to bounce back. Minnesota's fired their coach. And none of this is to try and excuse or brush away the disappointing aspects of what the Kings are going through, because it shouldn't, and I don't want to. But it was just a reminder to me that the comments uh, made earlier in the season from the front office of the King staff about the salary cap and the tightness of the cap and the options that are, are or are not there for the Kings. One of the comments made was, well, this is happening to a lot of teams right now. Um, and at the time, I sort of ignored that comment and thought, well, I don't care about the other teams. I care about this team. But the more I was looking at the standings today, the more I thought, well, maybe there's something to that. A lot of teams are limited in their options. A lot of teams have spent to the cap. A lot of teams have invested um, in, the, in the wrong players for their roster. And we always like to have a chuckle or a laugh when uh, those things go wrong. Obviously, Calgary making some moves last year uh, that have not worked out, despite the fact that some people thought that they may. Um, and so I'm just very curious to know if this isn't just a natural symptom of what is happening in a league that maybe has not yet quite wrapped its head around uh, both the salary cap and the impact of analytics, because there was an awful lot of talk about how you could uh, get by with subpar goaltending. Um, well, I shouldn't say subpar, but, you know, uh, Colorado won with um, with uh, Darcy Kemper and Vegas won with Aiden Hill, two goaltenders that were not considered, you know, regular Vezina candidates. And suddenly that conversation became, well, you can don't, you know, who cares then? Um, but I think we're seeing a lot of teams with um, high expectations, a lot of teams with a lot of firepower being somewhat burned by uh, goaltending that doesn't match up. And uh, the Kings certainly had goaltending early in the season, but uh, we've now reached a point where we're discussing it on the broadcast and uh, in the uh, surrounding media of the team, the goaltending has not been as good as it was at the start of the season. Certainly the rest of the play of the team has slipped as well. Um, so, yeah, I don't mean to uh, wave wave away with a brush of my hand the disappointing play of the Kings over the last 23 games or however far back you want to go. But uh, they are certainly not the only team in the league staring down the barrel of disappointing results over a stretch of play. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we'll take a look at some numbers, take some more of your calls. You're listening to King's Talk on the LA Kings Audio Network here on iHeartRadio. This is King's Talk, your post-game reaction to LA Kings hockey. Call 877-KINGS-20 on the LA Kings iHeart Audio Network.
Welcome back, Kings fans. I'm Jesse Cohen. You're listening to Kings Talk. That's the game by Jurassic 5. I'm going to keep introducing it every time. Well, not every time. I'll get tired of it eventually. But I really like that song, so I'm going to keep uh, shouting it out. Coming to you live from Kings headquarters at Toyota Sports Performance Center in El Segundo, California. Final score from Enterprise Center in St. Louis, Missouri. Your LA Kings 3, the St. Louis Blues 4 in overtime. Taking your questions and comments about the game, the team, and anything else on your mind, call 877-KINGS-20, 877-KINGS-20. And I want to look uh, at a silver lining from this game, uh, a silver lining in search of a cloud. And unfortunately, I think there is a cloud uh, obviously attached to it. Uh, In the first period, uh, Zach Dooley and I both observed, and we talked about it during the break, that the Kaliev, Turcotte, and Lewis line appeared to be uh, performing quite well. At that point, I think they had seven scoring chances for and zero scoring chances against they played uh two minutes and change in that first period and i mentioned to somebody that uh, at the end of the game i expected that they would wind up with six minutes uh played together as a line um despite the fact uh that um, other lines maybe were underperforming well they played five minutes 16 seconds together as a line, although the other guys found themselves uh, mixed and matched and uh, more more or less minutes as they floated through line changes in the lineup. But uh, for the night, 5 minutes, 16 seconds for Turcotte, Calliv, and Lewis. 11 shot attempts for, 1 shot attempt against. They controlled uh, the Corsi distribution while they were on the ice to a tune of 91.67%. So even though they were only out there for a brief period of time, they dominated shot attempts while they were doing it. Um, shots on goal, 5-4-1 against. Uh, expected goals for, uh, won't deal with the numbers, but 83.91% for them. Scoring chances, 5-1 to one for that line. High danger chances, 3-1 to one for that line. Um, I had said earlier that for whatever reason, Alex Turcotte and Arthur Kaliev seem to bring out the best in one another. Um, the two of them seem to have a friendship and a chemistry that leads to uh, on-ice performance. I'm not sure exactly what the explanation for that is, but I have seen it, as I said, on the ice, off the ice, uh, in multiple ways. And uh, I don't understand why they only played five minutes and 16 seconds ice time. Now, I know that the Kings had six penalties to kill in that game, and that might have had something to do with it. Um, but the Kempe, Kopitar, Laferriere line dominated their chances 15 four, three against, uh, and obviously the Deneau, Moore, and Fiala line um has been uh, the king's most reliable offensive line but uh, i find it hard to believe that the turcotte calliv and lewis line when performing so well could not have found a little bit more playing time in that game alex in orange county are you with us alex yes i am long time listener huge kings fan uh love your guys' show by the way Appreciate um it. i know we're having a bit of some bad luck right now um it's probably hard for a lot of us fans but I, I think really what, what's happening is that our guys are still getting some experience. They're very talented guys. Um, I think Blake put this team together more of a, I want to say more of a talented team. When you look at Dubois and Fiala, they're very skilled guys. There's no doubt about it. But they did kind of lack a little bit of like experience, maybe character of like what Lombardi put together when he put together the Kings for that Stanley Cup run that we had. Uh, a lot of the guys he picked up weren't the biggest names, like a Willie Mitchell or Scuderi, or even even Williams wasn't considered like an award-winning guy or anything. And, and those are three guys that really impacted our team so well. They they weren't going for the personal accolades, and I think that's what really what, what seems to be maybe the issue that we're having right now. Well, they certainly put an emphasis on speed and skill, uh, the front office did, uh, when the transition 
started happening from uh, the the you know the end of the cup winning teams into the the new iteration that they have now. And you know, I said it earlier in the week. I think uh, during this streak, this team was built to be what it is. Um, I don't know that they necessarily thought that there'd be this long stretch of of failing to win games, but this team was was constructed in a very specific way. Assets were spent in a very specific way. This is the roster that was intended. Um, maybe not for the long haul. Maybe in the off season they plan on making changes. But um, the the LA Kings have a deep front office staff with cap experts, analytics experts, um, hockey development, hockey uh, uh, player development. So I mean this this roster was not slapped together last second with chewing gum and 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 paper clips on a Sunday afternoon. This this roster was constructed with a very concise um, outcome in mind. I, I think what we saw in the beginning of the season is what was expected or what was hoped, I should say. What we're seeing now is is frustrating, but as a number of callers have pointed out and I've repeated over and over again, they're not getting blown out, right? They're not getting beaten, Alex. They're just not winning, they're very close on every game. That's really one of the nice points. I mean, we're we're a goal away from almost every win in those games, which is it's almost like a groove thing. It's it feels like bad luck, but as long as they keep trying to get those chances, they're eventually going to pot them in. And I think it kind of like snowfall effects. Once they start getting going again, I think the offense will go. And that's what I was saying with the high skill. They're very high skilled guys. They're gonna they're gonna find a way eventually, and. I think it's just more a matter of patience. And, and I think as Kings fans, I don't want to get caught in the trap of like a, I hate to be biased, but like maybe some Canadian teams where there is a very scorched earth mentality. Um, give your guys time to work through these things and it will pay off in the long term. Well, Alex, I appreciate you mentioned that because it triggered a thought I wanted to say earlier. I can't remember which caller mentioned it. I apologize. Uh, but somebody called in and said if this were a Canadian market, you know, something would have happened. And and I do want people to consider that if this were a Canadian market, you might not get the uh, the contract deals that you get for people to stay here because Canadian markets can be so volatile when it comes to fan reactions and people coming and going. I, I do believe and will continue to believe that the Kings do uh, an excellent job catering to the players' needs and uh, and and feelings and the coaching staff as well. Now, that could be a good thing or a bad thing. I leave that up to every individual to decide. But when you talk to the players and you see the care taken by the organization to make sure that they're comfortable, that their families are comfortable, um, and that they don't have to put up with a lot of nonsense, I, I think that has positives, and I do think it plays out in contracts and construction. Alex, I appreciate the call. Uh, appreciate your positivity. Appreciate everybody's positivity. And on a Sunday afternoon, I really appreciate the calls. I didn't think we'd get any just because it's an 11 a.m. game on a Sunday. Robert in Whittier, uh, you still with us, Robert? Yes, I am. Thanks for um, sticking on hold. What's going on? In light of what you said that uh, they um, the team was built for this, mm-hmm. and uh, as recently as a couple of years ago, they had – uh, the best minor league prospects. Um, I th- think that the fans are at the point of going like, um, well, why not do something? Why not do something drastic? And and I I know the whole salary cap thing and everything, but um, it's like what this team was built for. 
they're not doing it. They're not getting done. So if, if according to Dowdy and, and, and Kopitar, it's not the coach's problem, then <laughs> whose problem is it? And when, how long are they going to wait to make a decision? Well, Robert, I, I am of two minds on this. There is definitely a part of me that goes home when, you know, when I stop the broadcast and I pack everything up and I, and I get home and I'm making myself dinner and I'm just talking to myself out loud and I'm saying, why don't they do something, something, anything, right? I, I get frustrated. I am a fan. Um, but then if I look at the team and I think about it and I think about how I would react in my own personal life, um, I've said this, I tried to imply this earlier in the season. I don't believe in panic buttons because the problem with panic buttons is once you've hit it, it's too late. And my fear is that if they do something drastic, uh, you know, look, there's plenty of hockey left in this season. It will either fix itself or it won't. Um, If it does, then all these conversations are moot and everything will be fine. If for some reason the season winds up being lost, then my secondary um, focus has to be, well, it doesn't have to be, but it is, on ensuring that whatever drastic decisions are made doesn't hurt next season or the season after that. Because this season will give them more opportunities to maneuver the cap, tamper with the roster, make changes, whatever it may be. Um, One of the criticisms of the Dave Taylor uh, regime before it ended was that as it was ending wild trades were made to try and do quote unquote something. And, you know, the criticisms of the Lombardi era was, was that when he and Sutter were on their way out, they were grasping at straws to try and, and keep the window open. And that those wild swings of decisions hurt the team in the long term. If you go through the history of the franchise, there are tons. And, and believe me, I have, um, there are tons of trades and moves made to try and fix today with no regard for tomorrow or the day after that or the day after that. So my position, although I do as a fan want immediate action and want, you know, their record is one in nine or one in 10 now, I suppose, um, in overtime shootouts, you know, do something about it, change something about it. You know, they haven't won back-to-back games since December. Do something about it, change something. I get that. Unfortunately, I look at the roster, I look at the salary cap, I look at the position they've put themselves in, And I think, well, there's not much they can do. And I'm sorry I'm rambling a little bit, Robert, and I'm trying to find parallels to make this work. One of the things that drove me crazy about uh, the Kovalchuk acquisition was that, to me, it represented um, a, a tightening of the salary cap space, which in the moment didn't necessarily matter. And I had people tell me that, you know, they were making a they were taking a home run swing. And if it didn't work out, well, then they would initiate the rebuild. And so it would all be fine one way or the other. It was a sort of no lose proposition. And I said, well, that's not necessarily true because acquiring Kovalchuk put a timeline on when players had to be moved out. Acquiring Kovalchuk meant that one of, if not more, of Muzzin, Martinez, Toffoli, and Pearson had to go the following year because of the cap space. And then things didn't go well early in that season with uh, Kovalchuk on the roster, and they moved Pearson. And it's not that I was upset that they moved Pearson. It's that I felt that he was moved prematurely and not for maximum value because it was maybe not a panic move, but it was a move meant to sort of kickstart something that didn't wasn't seemingly working. And so that's right. the kind of move that I am sort of cautioning against. Well, I'm not, I don't have anything to do with it. I'm not cautioning against. But when people call in and say, you know, fire somebody or trade somebody or do something, 
that's the sort of thing where I go, well, hold on. We do have to worry about next season. We do have to worry about the season after that. Um, and I believe me, I fully understand the impulse to want to call for massive changes. But well, everything you said is great and makes sense, <laughs> and, so. and and it and it should calm down the, the fan base. At this point, I think what we're looking at then is, and I'm not crazy the way Sutter used to uh, change up his lines every game and every every shift and stuff, but. It seems like you, then you got to work within your structure. You got to work with what you have, mm-hmm. and changes have got to be made to made maybe lines and stuff, and and uh, see if you can't get come up with better combinations. But um, in that light, there's hope. There's light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> well, to that point though, that's why I focused on that Lewis Turcotte and Kaliev line. Right, they played great when right. they were out there. Um, I understand that there were special teams play that had to be factored in, but five minutes and 16 seconds for a line newly constructed um, that maybe perhaps could, based on very limited results, could spell some of your other lines, you know, could spell some of those top players. And listen, we saw Todd McClellan leave Kevin Fiala out of the lineup late in the game, and it was speculated, at least on the broadcast, that that might be uh, a result of earlier play. So they're obviously not opposed to taking people out of the lineup for brief periods of time. So why not give that one a better uh, option? And like I said, as a fan, I totally understand the impulse to ask all those questions. Uh, Robert, thank you for calling in. Really appreciate it. I hope uh, my old stomping grounds of Whittier is treating you well. We are going to take another break here. When we come back, some final thoughts on the game and hopefully more of your calls. You're listening to King's Talk on the LA Kings Audio Network here on iHeartRadio. This is King's Talk, your post-game reaction to L.A. Kings hockey. Call 877-KINGS-20 on the L.A. Kings iHeart Audio Network. The game. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. You're listening to King's Talk, coming to you live from King's headquarters at Toyota Sports Performance Center in El Segundo, California. Final score from Enterprise Center in St. Louis, Missouri, your L.A. Kings 3. In overtime, the St. Louis Blues 4. We're taking your questions and comments about the game, the team, and anything else on your mind. 877-KINGS-20. That's 877-KINGS-20. Got quite a few calls so far. Surprising. Thank you to all of you who have called in. I just assumed that on a Sunday afternoon, uh, I just didn't know how many people would be listening or would call in. But I always appreciate it when you guys call in. And I want to make something real clear here because i know i get a chance to just speak my mind uh and uh, you guys can't interrupt me but i can interrupt you so i do want to say most importantly of all um you don't have to agree with me and in fact i prefer uh certainly at least on, on occasion that people don't agree with me and i hope uh if any of you call in or any previous people call in or if you're listening and you hear people calling in and you hear me try and sway an opposite opinion. Um, I hope you don't interpret that as me trying to tell you how to think. Cause even though I love telling people how to think, um, it's why I do this. Uh, but I certainly, um, I understand where most, at least I think I understand where most of the people are coming from. And, uh, believe me, if you got my unfiltered, <laughs> uncensored thoughts, uh, when I was driving to and from games or, uh, in me uh, again, uh, you know, making dinner or talking to my friends or my family, uh, you would hear, um, well, you'd hear some upsetting stuff from time to time. Cause like I said, my mood is way too affected by the outcome 
of these games. Uh, LA Kings lose 4 to 3 in overtime to the St. Louis Blues and I jotted down uh, this stat again, the Kings record when scoring 3 goals in regulation, 1 3 and 5. And it's uh, one of the reasons that I don't get too hung up on the overtime deployment or on the uh, shootout uh, success or not success because at some point if you're scoring 3 goals a game and you've only won one game halfway through the season, um, and you've lost three times in regulation, uh, there is something going on with with your team that is not as simple as, well, they stink in overtime. Um, they don't have a great record in overtime, and those five losses when scoring three in regulation are certainly um, concerning. But uh, this team needs to be able to win a game three to two. You know, I know Daryl Sutter always said somewhat tongue-in-cheek, it's a three-two league, and I know that we all clamped onto that and repeated it and repeated it and repeated it, and now it's something of a joke. But there's a reason salt is the most common uh, spice in the world, and there's a reason vanilla is the baseline for uh, ice cream flavors. It Sometimes there are simple truths that need to be accepted, and it is a 3-2 league. Um, and the Kings got to figure out how to win in regulation when scoring just three goals. Chris in Montreal, how are you doing tonight, Chris, or today, this afternoon? Hey, how, are, how are you, hey, Chris? Pleasure. How are you? How are you? Um, pleasure. Can you answer me something, Jesse? I can try. How many times does Daniel be? <laughs> How many times has Daniel been on the three-on-three? Three? How many times has who been on the three-on-three? Three? Philip Daniel. Uh, many times. I don't have the actual number in front of many, me. Many times. And what has he done in the overtime, Mr. Daniel, who I love the guy, but he's not for the three-on-three. Three. <laughs> well, he was certainly out there today uh, when the when the, when the the loss happened. Um, I've seen him contribute to some three-on-three wins, but I, I hear what you're saying, Chris. Uh, there are some oh. players that get a lot of uh, use in overtime um, that maybe are not considered uh, possessing the skills that would flourish in that setting, and certainly there are some players uh, like Quentin Byfield who do not get a lot of overtime despite being fast, strong, large, and skilled. Now, he was not in the lineup tonight, so... Uh, I'll give them a pass on that, but sure, um, there is an element, Chris, of going back to the well and trying the same things over and over and over again, and uh, I can tell yeah, that you exactly. are upset about it, and I don't blame you. I'm going nuts. You mentioned it before, try something different. The same three guys. I understand the first the first three three guys who go up, Kopitar and Kempe and Dowdy. I understand that, but then they're, they're off, and here comes Daniel, and he I think he gave the pass. He gave up the, the giveaway pass, I think, today, again. Uh, he did. Now, in he his defense, it. it wasn't either. Was no, there was no need to force that pass. He shouldn't be on there. Byfield's got to be out there. Believe it or not, Callie's got to be out there. Well, Byfield couldn't be out there today because he was sick. But I, I, I definitely yeah, understand what you're saying. Never but, out there when he is there. He's well, never here's, out there when he is there. <laughs> no, he's not. I, you're, you are correct. Um, today would have been fascinating to see, let's say, Turcot and Kaliev, uh, who had played incredibly well during regulation. And uh, one, I, I have given Todd McClellan a number of passes on three on regular five on five line allocation because I think they're somewhat limited in what they can do. But overtime definitely seems like the sort of thing where he would have more freedom, more creativity to try and mix and match different things. And uh, yes, the overtime record and the shootout record uh, are not great, and uh, seemingly very few changes to try and fix that, Chris. I appreciate you calling in, particularly all the way from Montreal. Um, and I appreciate 
that you said you love Phil Deneau, even though you think perhaps he shouldn't be the go-to uh, on the three-on-three option. Chris, enjoy the rest of your day. Um, getting back to what I was saying, there's a perfect example. I hope Chris doesn't feel like I was trying to shut him down or change his mind because, like I said, I am one of those fans that does want drastic changes and does want, uh, you know, when things are not going well, go for chaos. Just if for no other reason than to be interesting. And uh, to the earlier caller, apologies, I don't remember which one it was, uh, who said he's he laughed when the when the game winning goal was scored. That I think is the danger um, of not changing anything. Is that as a fan, and I've said this a number of times, uh, if a power play, if a team's power play scores one out of four times in a game. Uh, and continues to do that over the course of the season. That's 25%. That's very good. But fans of every team love to say their power play stinks. They love to say a goaltender playing the first game against them will get a shutout. A former teammate will score against them. You know, we call it the Molson Index. We and my dumb friends, that is. We call it the Molson Index, but plenty of other people refer to it as the revenge tour or the revenge game. Um, people notice these things that fit these overarching narratives. And and I'm one of them. I, 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 I feed into them all the time, right? King scored first goal of the game, and I got a text from uh, <clears throat> my dad saying, final score, St. Louis, 7-1, to one, question mark. And we had a laugh at it, right? Because that's, you know, it's easy to isolate these little storylines and lean into them and make them, you know, jokes and, and running gags and everything. I've totally lost track of, of where I was going when I started this little uh, conversational stroll. Um, the point is that that at the end of the day, um, that is not what this team is built on. This team is built on structure, on buy-in, on repeating behaviors over and over and over again that will ultimately lead to success. And fighting for an extra point in a shootout or fighting for an extra point in Overtime, you know, uh, their record is, uh, what is it, 1-11 or 2-11 in overtime games. We can't expect all of those games to be flipped if things were changed, but let's just say half of them were. Um, Standing-wise, yes, they'd be out of immediate danger that they're presented in right now because they'd have, you know, 60 points instead of 54, if let's just say six of those points. And But you never know if other teams, it's just, the, the problems are that they find themselves in these overtime games, right? Not what happens in overtime. The problem is that the Kings had a lead early in this game uh, and had to fight their way back into a game against the St. Louis Blues, a team who is, you know, identical to them in the standings, right? They are one point, they were one point behind them uh, when the game started. They now find themselves one point ahead of them. So, from a from a record standpoint, the St. Louis Blues uh, are. Although I'm looking at the standings now and it hasn't reflect. Oh, I see the Kings picked up a point, so they're tied now. The Blues and Kings. Pardon me, I've been saying this wrong the whole post game. Kings and Blues are now tied at 54 points. So this is a team that the Kings are, you know, at least record wise evenly matched with. And the fact that they lost in overtime, while disappointing, and while we can point to the narratives of the same choices being repeated over and over and over again. Um, you know, the Kings are one, three and five when they score three goals in regulation. Um, they have to find a way to stop going to overtime because in overtime, you know, anything can have, I hate, I don't like that phrase. Anything happen because it's so dismissive and obviously choices that are made in overtime do matter and they do have an impact on the season, but shootouts, I do believe are a coin flip and overtime. I think they've only, I think they've survived overtime five or six times 
I think it's about split half and half. So this is a team that needs to learn how to hold on to leads. This is a team that needs to uh, learn. I shouldn't say learn because they're doing it earlier in the season. This is a team that needs to remember how to hold on to leads and needs to remember how to not just score more than three goals in a game, but to prevent fewer than three goals in a game. The lovely thing about the start, hot start to the season is that they led the team in goals for, but they also led the team in goals against. They were the stingiest defense. They were getting the best performance from their goaltenders. The penalty kill was great. The power play was adequate to start. Um, they need to find a way to win three to two because Todd McClellan said it a million times. They're not going to score four or five, six goals per game. We saw this at the beginning of last year when they were trying to score, outscore their game, you know, their opponents. Um, they did make a drastic move last year after that eight, nine uh, game against Seattle. That move's not available anymore. They don't have that kind of a drastic move to make. Um, they have, they have built this team to be what it is and uh, they need this team to remember who they are. And I, 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 I'm rambling mainly because I'm trying to <laughs> kill clock, but also because I don't have a simple answer. And that's the frustrating thing. I've said it time and time again. There is no simple answer. There is no immediate, obvious solution to all of this. And as fans, I certainly know I do it all the time. We want to reach to that, that lever, that easy button, and hit it and just fix everything. Um, and it just never is that easy. And I do want to go back and reference one specific thing that people keep talking about. That is the 2011-2012 season because people point to it and they go, well, they were struggling. They fired the coach and they turned it around and blah, blah, blah. That wasn't the only lever they pulled that year. That might have been one of the first levers they pulled that year, but they made a huge trade at the trade deadline. They traded Jack Johnson. They brought in Jeff Carter. Um, they called up Nolan and King. Uh, Hunter and Morrow uh, left You know the regular rotation um, they constructed new lines. I mean, they did, they pulled a lot of levers. So, uh, that's a long rant. Um, uh, Matthew in Rancho Cucamonga. Are you with us, Matthew? Yeah, I think I can sum up the Kings and how we all feel real quick. All right. <laughs> all right. I shouldn't have laughed at that, Matthew, but. Oh, is Matthew gone? <laughs> all right. Okay, well, uh, I think that's the note we're going to go out on, uh, Matthew. Um, like I said, I probably shouldn't have laughed at that. But you did it, Matthew. You got a laugh out of me. That's going to do it for this edition of Kingstock. Final score tonight from Enterprise Center in Missouri. Your LA Kings 3, the St. Louis Blues 4 by way of overtime. LA Kings Hockey returns to iHeartRadio Wednesday night when your LA Kings take the ice for the final time before the All-Star break against the Predators at Bridgestone Arena in Nashville, Tennessee. Pre-game show begins at 4 p.m. Pacific and Pop Drop is scheduled for 4.30 here on the LA Kings Audio Network. You've been listening to LA Kings Hockey for Nick Nixon, Jim Fox, Daryl Evans, Zach Dooley, Carlin Bave, Miguel, Steve, Spencer, Darren, Alex, Robert, Chris, and even Matthew. And, of course, our network producer, Jeff Cabot. I'm Jesse Cohen. Enjoy the rest of your day, Kings fans. We'll see you on Wednesday. You've been listening to Kings Talk along the LA Kings iHeart Audio Network. Follow the Kings all season long wherever you are. Downloading. With the LA Kings iHeart Audio Network. Download the iHeart app for free. And join us next time for the excitement of LA Kings hockey.